Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Snake All Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Jim Ventura. Thanks for joining me today, whether you're catching the show live or in archive. Again, welcome, everybody. Uh, this is going to be a live column read show, and the column is a little longer than normal uh, this month because I've actually got two stories to share. So um, real quick, because uh, I see some people jumping in on the phone lines, um, typically uh, I usually don't have time to take live calls during column read shows. Um, if you're looking to call in, usually uh, when I do a guest show, uh, they'll take calls, and when I do an astrolog- astrology update show, I usually take live calls during those shows. But column read shows, I almost never uh, am able to take uh, phone calls just because it's only a 45-minute show, and uh, I like to stay on topic. So uh, I appreciate the calls. We're not going to be able to get to calls today. Uh, okay, so a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Jim Ventura. I am a professional astrologer and navigational consultant. Uh, I've been doing uh, personal sessions with people here in my home office in Phoenix, as well as by phone, and of course now Zoom and FaceTime, since we're in the quote-unquote modern era, for again many, many years now. Uh, Information about my uh, services can be found at jimventura.com. I've got a couple of published books. Uh, that you can find on Amazon. One is uh, Dirty Little Secrets, and the other is Snake Oil Volume 1. And I'm in the process of getting a third book done, which I am going to talk about uh, in a little bit here. Um, so also, uh, if you're not already getting the, the column, uh, I do that about every two months. I send out a column. It is blind copied. So if you sign up for the column, no one will ever get your email address from me. I'm not very heavy into sales. Uh, it's just a column with some information and specials and things that I sometimes run, but the priority of the, the column is the column, give you insight and information. Uh, so uh, you can email me at VenturaSag at to get added to the mailing list. And when you do, um, feel free to add, add your date of birth because I do a birthday promotion special once a year if you add your birthday to that list. All right, so uh, again, uh, we're going to do a couple of different column reads. This is my um, my uh, holiday column, November, December. Uh, I'm going to read to you one of my early uh, columns that I wrote way, way back. Uh, this I probably wrote this column, I want to say originally maybe 17 years ago. It was one of the first added columns uh, to my first published book, uh, Psycho Volume 1. And it has its, uh, I guess, long-term reputation to it. Uh, I run it maybe every three, four, five years. I actually have a couple of different holiday columns that I run. I haven't done this one in a while. And then also I added a, uh, a cut, an essay from the new book I'm working on, which is uh, called My Cast of Characters. And uh, more information about that a little bit later on. I'm in the process of finishing that book and searching for a publisher at this point. Uh, So I may self-publish, but really actually leaning toward finding a good uh, literary agent publisher this time uh, for a lot of different reasons. But um, if that doesn't occur in six months, it probably will. Uh, I will self-publish inevitably, so I'm sure the book will be out uh, sometime late 2023 by early 2024 at the latest. And, you know, from time to time, I'm going to do one of the new book stories on YouTube. Uh, My YouTube channel, by the way, is J, single letter, Ventura, Snake Oil. Uh, 
find that in the search engine at YouTube, uh, subscribe there. Sometimes I do stories on YouTube as well. And, uh, and again, with the columns, sometimes I, I add the stories. Uh, most, of the, most of my columns in my uh, newsletter, of course, are metaphysical columns. But the stories are fun and they're lighter, and I like to bring those in here and there. And that's actually, again, a big part of why I'm writing this uh, new book. So, okay, so let's kind of dive in. Uh, this column is called Tinfoil Covering the Baby Jesus. And, again, I wrote this column like said, quite a while ago. Uh, and there's a great reference to it that I'll humorously share after I read this in a moment here. Um, okay. So, again, tinfoil covering the baby Jesus. I grew up in a large Catholic family where Christmas rituals were an important part of our holiday experience. Amidst the craziness of Santa Claus, Christmas shopping, and stuffing our faces full of sugar through most of December, our family celebrated the true meaning of Christmas it was the time when Christ the Savior was born. Like almost every child raised in a Christian home, we were taught the importance of remembering the truth about Christmas. Even from what we believed to be our enlightened perspective, we were still all about the indulgence that Christmas seemed to usher in. And as a child, I loved every minute of it. During the holidays, atop the television set, was placed a small figurine of the baby Jesus. The figurine was part of a nativity scene. In our family, we placed a piece of tin foil over the, over the small statue. My mother explained this practice to us. Until Christmas Day comes, Jesus has not yet been born. She would inevitably ask us each morning if we pulled the tin foil off of Jesus before we began opening our presents. We never remembered. The excitement and lore of greedily tearing open presents far outweighed any interest in mom's custom. Still, we dutifully faked reverence in front of mom, pulling off the tinfoil only to instantly place her attention back to the presents. Young children, understandably, aren't interested in philosophy, morality, and religious rituals. As a child, most of the things I was taught about Christian teachings weren't really interesting and were often a little scary. Pictures of Christ nailed to a cross with bleeding hands and feet were horrifying. Picture common in Christian homes of Christ praying with a huge beating, burning heart in his chest terrified me. To please my mother, I pretended to be interested in the Bible. A children's Bible was illustrated with pictures that mostly gave me nightmares. Stories and pictures of pestilent lepers, children being sacrificed, people dying and a man who was hung to die on a cross did not make for comfortable bedtime stories. Understanding parables, Christ's message of love, and other biblical stories can be excellent ways to connect to our spiritual sides. Children, though, simply are not ready for this type of thing. I can safely guarantee that any child of any religion that is happy about learning this stuff is faking it to please their parents or guardians. Young children are just not able to grasp the significance of spiritual teachings. And that is exactly as it should be. Why not let children enjoy Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, and all the fun stuff until they're old enough to grasp the deeper meanings of religion and spirituality? Even as we approach our 40s around Christmas, my little sister and I tease each other about whether we've pulled the tin foil off of the baby Jesus. We playfully and sarcastically joke about this and some other bizarre rituals we were taught. Maybe we haven't grown up yet. Maybe we never will. 
Okay, so I wrote this uh, kind of shorter piece in October of 2003, probably more like August of 2003. So, yeah, that's like 19 years ago. And, uh, you know, my joke part, and I'm going to, before I go too much commentary on this, I'm going to read the second story before I do that. My joke part is, you know, approaching 40. Uh, trust me, I've long since passed, <laughs> passed that mark <laughs> of 40. Uh, but I was joking to say I, I still haven't really fully grown up. Um, so uh, that's kind of one of my points with the story. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that after I read my second story that I included in this month's column, which was from the new book called My Cast of Characters. And this story is called Warm Powdered Milk and Sugary Cereals. My mother was truly a master at developing frugal and creative ways to stretch my father's every two-week paycheck. We were by no means poor. In a true classic sense, we would have been seen as middle class. We stayed at home. Mother raised seven of us in a classic what-you-are-supposed-to-do Catholic way, what she believed was supposed to be. More or less, have a lot of children, stay married, go to church on Sundays and holidays, and follow all the rituals like not eating meat on Fridays. We had what we needed, but not a lot of extras. A close-knit family in a house, in a good neighborhood, stability. We actually grew up and spent our entire childhoods in that home. There were some families who were a bit wealthier and had nicer houses in our neighborhood, but ours was comfortable. Mom came up with interesting ways to feed a family of nine on one paycheck. There was a lot of side dishes for meals like rice, noodles, bread, and we did always have some sort of meat, but meat portions were very stretched. One chicken was often served at dinner and seen as normal. Thankfully, my ability to maneuver mom to favor me a little more than my other siblings ended up getting me one of the chicken breasts. A steak on the rare occasion we had that was cut into slivered portions with plenty of mashed potatoes and other fillers. We always had dessert after dinner, ice cream, pudding, jello, pound cake, were a few of the many variations for endless need for sugar. We had plenty of soda, wine punch, and even Kool-Aid. Mom was always on some sort of diet, so she would have calorie-free Crystal Light with her half a pound of pound cake for dessert. Crystal Light was red, colorful, and deceptively looked potentially tasty, but I experienced the horror of having a few sips of that fake sugar drink. To this day, I can't stand fake sugar in anything. What we hardly ever saw was real butter or milk. We had that glowing bright margarine nonsense. Our biggest stretch was using powdered milk. We ate sugary cereals most mornings with cold powdered milk she had mixed up the night before, put in the refrigerator. It was pretty watery, but we didn't know any better, so it was fine because we got sugar and that was the prize. In addition, the thrill of digging out the prize often in the cereal box was also magnificent. My parents were great about making sure we had a family vacation every summer. Other than one horrible mistake of Williamsburg, Virginia, and the horror of education about colonial times for a vacation plan, usually part of the trip would center around a theme park, Disney World, Six Flags, Hershey Park, a few really fun places we visited, and they were awesome. When my older siblings passed 16 or so, they usually stayed home by choice or were busy with work. When I was really young, we did have a few years where all nine of us were crammed into the station wagon, 
or later a Delta 88, and drove to Virginia, Florida, or even Ohio. We would stay in a Motel 6 or other similar budget-type place and share two rooms, adding a cot or two, sleeping on the floor for the couch, and a few to each bed. We sometimes were required to duck down in the back seat of the car in case staff saw us, since there were often limits to how many to a room, and that was oddly exciting, too. We We swam in the motel pools, were thrilled to get soda chips, cookies, candy from a vending machine, used the ice machine, and just enjoyed the adventure and change in scenery. Lunch meals were usually a cooler full of sandwiches, potato chips, pistachio nuts, pretzels, and other assorted fillers. We always had a, a dinner in a generally cheap restaurant, often the one attached to the motel, but that was great too. Breakfast meals were where mom usually cut corners. She and my dad would go out to eat in the motel restaurant, <clears throat> and all the kids would stay in the motel rooms. Before our trip, we would usually get to pick out eight packs of mini cereals. We often called dibs on our favorite types of cereals in a democratic way. Usually Raisin Bran or similar lower, uh, lower sugar cereals were supposed to be healthy were generally sadly left behind. Uh, from a kid's perspective, what good was a healthy cereal? Mom would bring her powdered milk and a jar of a pitcher. Rarely did the motel room have a refrigerator, so usually she mixed up the magic concoction of hot water from the faucet first thing in the morning. We poured that warm crap over our mini cereal boxes with our plastic spoons. The boxes were signed with wax paper so they could open and be used as a bowl. Warm, watery powdered milk that sometimes didn't fully dissolve in spots was a challenge. But the sugary cereals connected with television commercials and thrill of crazy cartoon characters pushing them and being away from home made up for it, and we love the ritual. In spite of all the stretching and questionable nutritional focus, we had a great trips. In order to, to, in order to obsessively buy souvenirs or extra garbage food along the way, we saved money for our trips. Breaking leaves, weeding gardens, shoveling snow in the winter, and other odd jobs became a focus to have your own spending money for a vacation. Looking back on this, it was a good thing on mom and dad's part to choose us how to plan and save. Mom's frugal ways were surprisingly motivating. Dad proudly took thousands of pictures, so we still have a ton of fun at some of our family reunions looking at photos, photos of our adventures. Some of my friends actually got to fly places, even had more elaborate trips, stayed in actual hotels versus the Motel 8. They were even shockingly simply giving money if they asked for it by their parents, something that we rarely ever experienced. Yet the fun of playing car games like spotting license plates from other states and the game Mr. Peabody goes to the store, I think it was the market actually, (laughs) making jokes and funny character voices, grooving to 70s and 80s music, stopping or noticing Stucky's signs, going different rest areas along the highway and get a fur- and getting further thrilled at vending machines with different stuff in each place were seriously memorable. Sometimes we visited relatives, but we always inevitably had a day or two at a popular theme park, riding the rides and seeing some shows. 
My friends had more glamorous trips, but our funny stories, the banter between my siblings and I, and how Dad allowed us to, well, pretended to at least choose where we would go each year, as well as the odd closeness of being squeezed into a car every year, made our trips seem truly fun. I could see that my friends often actually kind of envied, envied us when we returned and shared our funny stories about our family's crazy trips. All right, so I wrote this. This is one of the early pieces from the new book that I wrote in July of this year. Uh, I don't think what, the, what numbers. Yeah, I think it's probably like the third piece I wrote for the book. Uh, so let me talk a little bit about some of these things. First thing I want to say right off the bat is, you know, what's always amazing is I have already published this column. I have my sister do editing. I do multiple edits. You know, but every time I read a column, I always come up with one or two, like, mistakes in grammar or, uh, you know, or not capitalizing something. I mean, they're pretty minimal. Maybe I think I saw three of them uh, total in this piece. I want to, you know, the, the practical side of me, the, the parts of me that are Virgo. Um, like, I want to just mark that right now to fix that, of course, even though, again, they're very, very minimal. But uh, it's just something I always, I always notice. You know, that's a joke I would say in, in my field. There's two things I'm just constantly doing as a writer, I'm constantly editing, I mean, to the point, to, you know, God almighty. If I write a piece, it probably will go anywhere through four to eight edits before it's finished. Uh, of rewrites and grammar and punctuation and, you know, uh, adding more material and taking things out. That is just part of the, the process. So anyone's looking to expand in the world of writing, trust me, writing is awesome and it's fun, but you're going to spend three quarters of your time, if not more than that, editing, just to the point, again, where the cows come home. The other thing is in my field uh, of, of doing astrology and readings and things of that nature, the other thing I always joke about is I'm like forever doing marketing. You know, marketing, marketing, marketing. Uh, that's why I'm actually looking to get a publisher this time because I'm just so tired of marketing. I do so much of it. Uh, YouTube video once a month, and I do uh, uh, astrology stuff on Instagram, and I even have a TikTok channel, believe it or not, uh, about animal totems. It's called Animal Speaks on TikTok. Um, it's great little videos about um, working with animal totems. But uh, and Facebook, of course. So, I mean, like marketing, just crazy marketing. Uh, this is the story of my life. I probably only actually work in terms of talking to people through sessions and, and, and writing, um, you know, maybe 20, 22 hours a week. But uh, marketing, you know, is a lot more. So a friend of mine right now, too, is writing her first book. And I told her, try to see if you can find a publisher. She's like, no, I don't want a publisher. I want to own it outright. And I'm like, uh you're not going to listen to me. <laughs> it's nice owning the first two books I publish, I self-publish. Uh, but that is the beauty of, you know, passing the buck a little bit over to uh, literary agents and, and, and uh, publishers. Uh, you're going to sell more books more likely, you know, and get on talk shows and things of that nature, book tours and things that are really hard to book yourself. All right, so that's all side note here. Uh, but talk a little bit about both of these things. You know, the theme I kind of went with, with this, uh, with this, uh, this month or two months at a time column for the holidays was family rituals. Um, I'm going to talk about that more in just a minute here. But before I, I go into talk a little bit about some commentary about these pieces, um, I would like to mention, uh, if you're not already getting my column, you obviously may not have caught this, but 
for the month of November and all of December, um, new clients and returning clients who book sessions in office or by phone, so you could do it all over the country, um, get the new client discount of $10 off my listed rates. And uh, if you want to buy a gift certificate for yourself or a friend, if you buy a second session, it's $20 off that second session for yourself to use later in the year or uh, for a friend or family member. It's a nice gift to give someone. Um, and then, believe it or not, if you buy a third gift certificate, it's $40 off the third one. So uh, it uh, collects up to about $70 to $75 off um, total uh, if you buy three gift certificates to use for yourself or to pass along to others. So keep in mind uh, that that is going on until the end of December. And uh, always, again, best way to contact me about stuff like that is to email me. Email is the easiest way. I check it like five times, uh, five, six times a day. You know, everything you're going to ask questions about is on templates. So it's easier than, than to texting, actually, uh, or phone calls, uh, emailing. And then you can, like, look at the schedule and book it, like, 2 o'clock, you know, on your own leisure time. You know what I mean? You don't have to try to get hold of me at a certain period of time. So, so texting is the way to go. Ventursage at yahoo.com. Okay, blah, 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 blah. I don't minimalize the sales stuff, but these are some good specials I've got covered this month. So first off, I want to talk a little bit about tinfoil covering the baby Jesus. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends that are, are Christian. I, you know, I use certain, some Christian philosophy, um, certainly, uh, as I do many philosophies in the teaching and, and work that I do. So this was no dig on uh, Christianity by any means. Um, I, you know, I, I, I read a lot of funny things about going to Catholic school, and some of it was ridiculous, and some of it was cool. You know, I mean, it, it's a mixed bag in that way. So I still feel that way. Uh, I am by no means anti-Christian, so don't project dumbness on me. Um, but, you know, my point if you kind of mull over this story is it was a very simplistic way of saying something that I think a lot of us kind of know, you know, trying to get an eight year old motivated about, you know, moral lessons and biblical stories and things of that nature. Listen, that is excruciating. They're not really down for that. You know, when they get a little older, uh, absolutely. You know, if that's what you're wanting to do as a Christian parent, but, you know, I just think it's just one of these type of things where, you know, as stupid as Santa Claus is and the Easter Bunny and all those things, it is kind of cool when you're a kid to play along with that um, and and all the indulgences that are part of that game. And, and you know, and I, I was very lucky. I mean, other than mom dragging us to church every Sunday and, and on holidays as well, uh, we really had awesome Christmases when I was a kid. Uh, you know, I had six siblings. Uh, most of them were not completely annoying. A few were and still are, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, mostly pretty good family relationships. I mean, we usually got a real Christmas tree up until maybe I would think I was 17 when we started getting a fake one. Um, you know, we literally made gingerbread houses and strung popcorn and, you know, played Christmas music, you know, Johnny Mathis Christmas album and and we watched Christmas shows, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, March of the Wooden Soldiers. And, you know, it, it was awesome. You know, seriously. I mean, not only did we get presents on Christmas, but parents really reasonably went all out for Christmas. Uh, but we had to buy each other presents. Um, 
each of our siblings. My mom made us do that. And so on Christmas Eve, we would open the presents from each other uh, that we got. And that was a really, you know, good thing that my mom did, getting us to think about giving to others and what they may want. And then we got a whole bunch of extra presents that way. And we had to save money to buy presents ourselves and work for it. So really, kudos to my parents. As much as I rip on them um, in, in some of my writing <laughs> for a lot of reasons, my parents were pretty awesome in terms of all that stuff. So, yeah, I loved a lot of that that Christmas ritual. It was it was really cool. The food and the fun and, and all of it um, were, were really amazing. But, again, like I mentioned in the piece, you know, the tinfoil over the baby Jesus was just such a weird thing that my mother would do. I don't know where she came up with that idea, uh, but we had to, you know – pull the tinfoil off and awe and, okay, it's Jesus' birthday. And, you know, it's like, all right, let me go back to my telescope and, and, uh, and uh, my other irritation about getting socks for Christmas too. So, uh, but it, overall it was fun. Um, so, again, in my mind, as, as I'm working on the new book, uh, my cast of characters, I'm writing a lot about childhood, but, uh, you know, I'm also writing about my teen years and my 20s, my 30s, even into my 40s. Um, you know, my uh, my cast of characters, the premise behind the book is, I think this is really significant for, for all of us. You know, we have, we've got cousins and, and family members and neighbors and friends as children, but we've got friends who jobs. And, you know, uh, another big focus in my book is what I jokingly call blind date relationship horror stories <laughs> that I went on. Uh, which are pretty universal, whether you're straight, gay, lesbian, you know, bisexual, you know, uh, anyone who's functioning person has been on a few horrifying uh, <laughs> blind days. I had plenty. Um, and, you know, just the fun characters. I mean, every restaurant I worked in when I was a waiter and a bartender, there's just a whole slew of friends. Sagittarius Sunshine, it was never particularly difficult for me to make friends, uh, especially when I got older. And, uh, so, you know, I, I mull a lot on the many different characters and friends that I had throughout my lifetime. You know, I'm in my in the mid to late 50s now. So there's been a lot of people that have come and go with different restaurants and different jobs and different gyms I went to and different relationships and different friendships. And, you know, while the book itself is very humor-based, uh, it is pretty warm in a lot of ways. Because I think one thing I figured out is some of even the worst people at times were wonderful or just incredibly humorous. And sometimes the reverse was also true. People that sucked kind of turned a corner and had value to me uh, in a lot of ways that I maybe not was not able to see at that time. You know, one of the things that I did in the book is, uh, in the new book, is I often changed the names of the people in the book. Most of the characters are pretty accurate to the people I've encountered. Uh, and legally, I can get away with that. I've already done that research. No one can really sue me from talking about them because it's my point of view. But I enjoy actually changing the names because the Venus and Scorpio part of me, like I also get to be extra sarcastic by coming up with really funny, ridiculous names for people, <laughs> which is something I've done throughout my life anyway, change people's names and things like that, even when I've had cats or dogs, they never have just one name. They've got like 62 names during their lifetime that I've changed that I, that I come up with. So I've done that with friends as well, too. And some of these names are really funny uh, that I've kind of come up with. I even changed my siblings' names purposely uh, for that. So it's really fun writing, uh, working on this book, because, again, my, my point was to say, you know, it's really amazing when we look at all these different characters that have been, you know, guest stars in our life. And while I've been very 
prone toward pretty decent storytelling. I think we're all storytellers in that way. We've got wonderful stories, whether we write them or just share them in, in, in expression and communication um, verbally. And uh, it's cool to kind of mull on that in that way. Uh, so, you know, that was something, like I said, that was really kind of important to me when I started working on this book. The other thing, and, and this is a big part of it, is because I grew up as a kid in the 70s and even the 80s, um, this is a very bygone, you know, generational thing. Uh, even the story about warm powdered milk and sugary cereals is I don't really know whether kids are having some of these experiences in the way that I did. This is pre-cell phones and, you know, and riding your bikes um, on, you know, out in the neighborhood and, uh, you know, playing kickball and dodgeball and, you know, and, and, and board games. We would go with kids to a series of, of things that we got addicted to. We'd play handball and then we'd play Monopoly for a week. And, and also one of the amazing backdrops of – it always kind of made me think about that um, when the show Sex in the City was on way back in the day, something really interesting that the writers had kind of pointed out that, that one of the characters in the show Sex in the City was the city itself. And so the way my mind works is one of the big characters to my childhood was music. And often I quote a lot of things uh, connected with music in my writing that really highlighted the period I grew up in. And I was very, very aware even as a child, when I was like 12 or so in, you know, in like 1970s to late 70s, that the music was amazing in terms of what was going on. Fleetwood Mac and the Eagles and, uh, you know, Pink Floyd and Rush and, you know, Carpenters. I mean, it was just phenomenal. In fact, what's really interesting now is if you go to YouTube, there's a lot of people on YouTube that, like younger people, that are listening to music from the 70s or the 80s or even sometimes the 60s and, like, being blown away by stuff they've never heard. They're just being mind-blown from listening to, you know, someone like Karen Carpenter's voice. It's really interesting. People have really elaborate channels about this. So I was very aware of that as a kid, that we really had a an amazing time for music. And again, that was kind of the backdrop. One of the stories I wrote for the book is, is about how when we were little kids, we used to play the song Dizzy by Tommy Rowe and just spin around until we were nauseous on the lawn and fall down. <laughs> we were really little, like seven and eight and nine, but we had a 45 uh, record player in my friend's yard. And, you know, I wrote about this and it was like really fun, like I said, to write about these things. But, you know, all my childhood friends were characters too. So a little quick note about this particular story. So, you know, in my mind, when I wrote this column, I was thinking about Christmas, but also because it was a family story. I thought about the summer trips that we always went on as kids. And, you know, this was a great uh, kind of piece, I think, about talking about how really kind of cool it was to, like, cram all these kids in a car and drive from New York to Ohio or Virginia or, um, you know, or Florida, which we often did. And, uh, again, I hope that families still do stuff like this. You know, it would have been great to fly, but, you know, my parents did not have the money to fly, you know, five or six or seven kids at a time. I mean, God almighty, they didn't have the money for that. I mean, I never even flew a plane in a plane until I think I was 22. The first time I flew somewhere. So, yeah, it was, a lot of it was car driving, you know. But one of the things that I, I found so funny, uh, you know, aside from the obviousness of, of talking about my mother with the disgusting powdered milk, <laughs> but was like, 
you know, was uh, just the fact that, you know, we were able to get along and kind of do this, you know, squeeze into the car and go somewhere. And, you know, and it was just such an adventure in so many ways, you know, staying in the motel and how we even found a way to get along and, and getting sunburned. You know, I was really redheaded, total redheaded stepchild back in the day with very fair skin from my mother's German side. And uh, I always got sunburned. Um, and uh, then, you know, then your siblings would like kind of try to smack you on the back on your sunburn to cause you more pain. Oh, the joy of siblings, <laughs> you know. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it was funny because, you know, we hated some of it because, you know, we weren't as rich as some of our neighbors, but because we had this large family, one of the things that was so interesting is a lot of my friends were jealous of it. You know, the funny stories and the things that we shared, and you know, and every once in a while they might be at our house, you know, during a holiday for a little bit, one of my friends, and they were just mesmerized by it. Um, and most of the time we didn't have our friends over because my mom hated everybody, <laughs> you know, so it's just like their own immediate family. But um, my friends, really, I could see that in their eyes that there was such a weird rapport um, among my siblings and my family that it was really exciting for them to, to be part of that. And we were half Italian, so there's always a ton of food and desserts and coffee and things of that nature that were part of this of these experiences. So uh, it, it was pretty cool stuff. Um, as much as, you know, some of the cheap stuff, like, you know, talking about the powdered milk on our cereal boxes and how so much was geared towards sugar. And it's so funny because even at the age I am now, I really have to fight that part of me that always feels like I need a dessert after a meal or that I need a reward in sugar in some way. You know, I'm glad I'm not a diabetic, uh, thank God. Um, but uh, it's still so geared in our minds in that way. Uh, sugar was cheaper. Also, just like I mentioned in the piece about how fillers were, potatoes and rice and things and beans and things like that were fillers versus meat and other more expensive things. So, yeah, you know, uh, we, sugar was a filler. And I uh, certainly got better about it now, much more relaxed about it. In fact, I even sort of humorously say, like, I don't even really drink soda anymore. I drink club soda with no calories and maybe add a special juice to it. Love that, by the way. Um, in fact, I have this philosophy where I really try not to drink calories, period. You know, I'd rather just have a piece of cheesecake once in a while than have a sugary soda, honestly. And diet sodas are disgusting. Uh, <laughs> people get annoyed at me about that, but I just can't stand the taste of a fake sugar. There's no way you can hide it from me. Oh, I just don't like it. It's got that weird taste to it. Uh, but, you know, there were, again, some really interesting things that my mom and dad had done. Again, because we weren't really given money, we had to kind of work for it. We did sort of get an allowance, but that was like a dollar a week, and we never got that anyway. Uh, most of the time we didn't do the chores we were supposed to anyway. My mom ended up doing it because we were terrible children. And uh, But we found ways to work and make money. And, and so, yeah, you'd save up money for your summer vacation, and uh, so you can buy souvenirs and buy your own stuff as well along the way. And uh, it, it was. It was really cool uh, to have learned how to do that. You know, it, it's something that I'm not one of these people that's going to attack all young people because I see very different ranges of young people in this day and age now. Uh, some of them are really hard workers and really sharp, um, and, and a lot of them suck. You know, uh, I think, you know, a lot of parents have coddled children in a way uh, that I think has limited them in some capacity. 
where they're hypersensitive. Again, not all of them by any means, but I think that not is one, not one of the better things that I've seen kind of done with children. Um, and this is where I start sounding a little conservative, but you know, when you get older, you you know. You, you stretch your boundaries to incorporate both elements of conservative and liberal philosophies and ideals. But, um, it, it, you know, I had worked so many jobs as a kid, you know, anything I can come up with. I mean, I would have killed to have gotten a McDonald's job when I was 15 or 16. I could not get one. You know, I had no experience. They wouldn't hire me. And I didn't get my first job in a restaurant until I think I was 17. Uh, and then I found little ways to make money. And I was pretty creative about it. But, I mean, you know, I paid from my own first car when I was 18 years old. I was able to put a good down payment on from money I had saved through odd jobs and working. So there was some real good to that. I, I kind of hope we find a way to incorporate some of that into the situation presently a little bit because I think that does create a recognition of the value of things in that way. But I think my main point with a lot of this stuff is um, that kind of family unity that was there. I was very blessed to be born into a family with multiple children because it, I, I sometimes notice that, you know, only child children know how to kind of mix with different types of people. When you're born into a larger family, you have to deal with different personalities. Um, and so like, I'm good at that. I've got, you know, I've got siblings I'm still close to. I've got some that I'd like to strangle on occasion, but we still get along within reason. You know what I mean? There's no real infighting, and we have different political opinions or points of views or religious ones, and, and we're still friends to a large extent. I've always kind of been that way, and I think a big part of it had to do with how I was raised in that way uh, and uh, learning how to how to do that. So that's kind of what my theme was, sort of about family and what that, and those emotions that come up during these times and, and appreciating the family that you came from, even if it was incredibly dysfunctional, which, by the way, most people's were. Mine was minimally so in contrast to what I've encountered in, in clients. Um, God almighty, you know, I've seen stuff that, you know, will curl your hair that people have gone through. Uh, I definitely had my challenges, but not to the degree in some of the stuff that I've seen. So it's also a good reminder to be understanding of people and their dysfunctions. You don't know how they were raised and what they encountered and had to overcome. Another excuse to know, to remember being kind, you know, and, and, and diplomatic. But one of my favorite things that I, I joked about that I remember so incredibly strongly as a child was vending machines. Like, that was it. When you checked into the hotel on vacation, you kind of went to look for the ice machine, of course, and that in itself was, like, kind of, like, awe-inspiring, the ice machine, um, you know, to kind of cool your sodas and, and stuff like that. So it was like the trip to the ice machine. And I just remember always being barefoot when I was a kid as well, too, maybe sandals or barefoot. In fact, even as an adult, I mean, the moment I get in the house, I toss my shoes off. I even had I even got a bad review on on Yelp years ago from some weird woman that came to my home office in the middle of July. Uh, from she came from Michigan and she uh, <laughs> and she wrote that she was insulted because I answered the door without wearing shoes. You know, uh, welcome to Arizona when it's 117 degrees out, even in the house. You simply wear shoes. Uh, she was pretty obnoxious, uh, but I laughed because it was my first what I call troll review. 
and she's definitely a troll. You can check it out on Yelp. I think she's still on there. That they always take away the. I've got like 50 reviews and 25 of them are hidden. I don't know why they do that. They just take some off there because they choose to. So silly. But the the one or two bad ones, of course, they've kept on there. You know, they won't get rid of those ones. So so silly. But I still get good reviews on Yelp. But going back to what I was saying is a lot of it. Especially the ice machine when you're a kid. It was also the vending machines. Like, that was like, I mean, we were just crazy about vending machines. It would be like finding one or two or three vending machines in the hotel and then even finding out that there was other vending machines on the other side. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And, uh, you know, they're literally going back to your siblings reporting what were in the vending machines and, oh, my God, I can't believe they've got bugles and, oh, my God, they've got Mountain Dew, you know. And, and so it was like, it, it, it was such a weird thing to be so thrilled by the vending machine. I think it was also because as a kid, it was like you put your change in, you watch the thing push the the treat out, come out the bottom. Um, I think it reminds me a lot of why I actually kind of like how I also got into like enjoying gambling in some ways, um, even as a kid, like going to uh, – to not circuses so much. I didn't go to too many circuses, but they'd have fairs that would go around. In fact, that just gave me a great story for the new book. I'm going to write about fairs. <laughs> and uh, fairs going around. And I remember, like, um, two really big things about first going to a fair. One was, like, that claw that would pick, like, a stuffed animal up or something. Like, I think this was early gearing children toward gambling. You know, like, can I, can I do that? Can I, you know, well, sometimes they had that thing where you put a quarter in, it had like a swing arm and it would like, you'd push the prize out if you timed it the exact way. Again, this is funny stuff uh, in that way. In fact, I remember even when I was maybe 13 or 14, uh, they had a recording booth at a fair and you could sing your song and they recorded it digitally on a record. Which is really cool as a kid. Like that blew my mind. And I, and I won't, I don't forget I sang um, a song by Pablo Cruz, uh, Love Will Find a Way. <laughs> I think I did a pretty decent job of it as a kid. But uh, uh, years later, I actually did karaoke, and I still do karaoke, and I'm actually pretty good at it. Um, and it's really fun. But I think that was the first time I ever did karaoke. But, again, so vending machines, all this kind of cool stuff. You know, uh, I recognize that I was really blessed to have a really, really good childhood. And, you know, I think I don't, I never had children in this lifetime um, for multiple reasons, but I always kind of, in some ways I wish I did only because I would have done my best to, to try to give children I had a, a good childhood. You know what I mean? That would have been important to me, but it's really just to know this, there are creative people that have children but as a general rule of thumb, the more creative one is, the less inclined you are to have children. Um, again, that's not a hard, fast rule, but it's a pretty close one. Uh, it's because when you're creative and you're a writer and you're a performer or you're someone who, who creates in general in whatever capacity, every time you birth a book or song or poem or anything or artwork, that is like birthing a, a version of a child in your own way. So that's an interesting thing psychologically and emotionally that is part of human reality. And anyway, all right. Well, I don't take calls here. I'm almost out of time already. Um, I really am wishing everybody a happy holiday season. You know, thank God we got that COVID crapola mostly in the rearview mirror. Although, again, I see them trying to sell terror of new flu strains and 
God almighty, it just never ends to what you should be afraid of. But hopefully people are getting together again in holidays and, you know, enjoying their family time or time with friends. And, um, again, if you're not already getting my column, email me at com. I'll add you to the mailing list so you can take advantage of specials and get to read my column, uh, be, you know, uh, as soon as they come out. And, uh, again, keeping in mind, go to jimventura.com for information about personal services, I only do, you know, between 10 and maybe 15 appointments a week. So sometimes it's a week or so to book out to get a session, but I still will find a way to make time for people. And uh, I've got a great special, 10 to $70 off on one to three uh, sessions from now until the end of December. So feel free to take advantage of that. All right. Uh, again, happy holiday season to everyone and a great start to the new year. And uh, I'll be back on uh, in another month or two. Cheers.